Welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. How your voice and communication help you succeed in life? It's the burning question of this season. This podcast aims to bring together the experiences of professionals who work with communication, voice and leadership skills, but in different perspectives. My name is Ines Moura, I'm an executive vocal coach and I'm the host of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed and you feel inspired. Welcome to this episode of Your Voice Matters podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Madeleine Dehook. Madeleine is the CEO and founder of the Business for Good, a company she founded in 2018 with the mission to cure leadership and collaboration problems through diagnosis and treatment of meeting syndrome. Having a degree, a medical degree from Imperial College London, she worked in the chemical and medtech industries over two decades and lived in three continents. Now she is an executive and life coach and a collective intelligence facilitator and dedicates herself helping professionals to avoid the waste of time, energy and potential of brilliant minds from endless meetings. She is known as the meeting doctor. Welcome, Madeline. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Inez. It's absolutely delightful to be here. Good. Your, your uh, journey, it's amazing. So you were a doctor and now you are treating the, the meeting syndrome. So tell us a little bit more about your journey as, as a medical doctor and now a leadership coach. Yes, so I started um, my journey as a medical doctor late in life. So, you know, I actually went to medical school at age 27. And until then, I was searching for what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. I was always um, admirative of those who did. And I just went from job to job. I was a petrochemical journalist. I was a secretary. Um, I traveled in petrochemical journalism. I traveled to several continents and worked in that. I did all sorts of different things. And my, when I was trying to think, you know, what do you want to do with your life, Madeline? You're going to be 30 soon. What do you want to do? And it always came back to sort of a very general feeling that I wanted to help people. And that's very fluid. It's not very concrete. Um, now, I have to say that at school, I had given up. Um, I did not do well at school. I did very well until about the age of 15, 16. And then after that, I just gave up. Mm -hmm. uh, and that giving up journey is a theme in my life. And it's one of the reasons why I'm on the path that I am now. So when I was 15, 16, I gave up. I stopped trying to study because my brother, I think one of the reasons he's very intelligent. He went to Oxford. He achieved great things. He skipped a year, all sorts of things like that. And I felt in comparison, oh, I'll never be as good as that. So I sort of gave up. Mm -hmm. And then at age 27 and I decided, okay, I'm going to be a doctor because that's the best way of helping people. I had to go back to school. I had to put myself back through school, which I did, mm -hmm. get, got the exam results, which I needed, which for medicine is very high. So I did that all in one year. I worked really hard, got my um, grades and went to medical school. And then mm -hmm. 
at the end of being a doctor, I was qualified, I was a doctor. By then I was um, in my early thirties and many of my friends weren't students, they were actually qualified doctors and they were leaving the profession because it was in the UK, the National Health Service, you know, it's, it's working far too many hours. Anyway, mm -hmm. they were leaving and it was my time to now be a doctor by myself on the wards. And I can remember walking to the hospital that morning, absolutely petrified. And I saw another student who had also passed, because not, not that many people end up passing, but another student who had passed, another young doctor, I should say. And she was walking in and she was, she was all standing straight and proud. And there was I, terrified. And do you know what I did, Inez? Mm -hmm. I, I turned around. I turned around and I walked away. I turned around and I walked away. I was so frightened of mm -hmm. being a doctor. I was so petrified of killing somebody because I'm dyslexic. That was another little element mm -hmm. as many, many people are. So I, I get my numbers mixed up. Mm -hmm. And generally it's, it's, I have to spend more time. I was so petrified I would give somebody the wrong dose. And mm -hmm. I felt to myself, who am I? Who am I to be a doctor? I'm not good enough to be a doctor. So I turned around. And I walked away and I found the nearest church and I cried and cried and cried. I called up my sister. I said, what mm -hmm. am I going to do? And she, she, she just said, do what's right. And I walked away from that. Mm -hmm. And now that's sort of 30 years ago now, 20, 20, 25 years ago now. I've worked through so many stopping points, so many fear points that have held me back that I realize to what an extent fear does hold you back and can stop you from doing what you want to do. Now, I don't regret doing medicine because as you said in the introduction, I worked for 20 years in the chemical industry and had a really interesting career um, on, in toxicology, um, managing research projects. And so I've had a wonderful career and I've learned a lot, but mm -hmm. I'll never forget that big failure, if you like, that big fear point and mm -hmm. now I help people overcome their internal fear points. And mm -hmm. you talked about meetings, doctor. So in my <laughs> mind, um, every, single, every single fear point that we experience individually comes in the meeting context, whether it's, so mm -hmm. when I was going to be a doctor, I was gonna be on the ward, it would be me meeting the patients, me meeting other senior doctors. It was my fear that held me back. In the workplace, it's also fear holding you mm -hmm. back. You know, you might be in a meeting and you might want to say something. Everybody else in the meeting might be going down a path that you think, hang on a minute, they haven't thought of something really important. I must, I must say something. Mm -hmm. but you, don't. you don't speak up. You hold yourself back because of fear. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's a little bit my journey. It's overcoming our internal barriers to give mm -hmm. ourselves the confidence to be the person we want to be, to do the things we want to do, and to have the things that we want to have. Because we can have it all, it's often our internal fear that stops mm -hmm. us, our internal blocks that stops us. So, so that's my story. Well, that's an amazing journey. And thank you so much for sharing with us because, uh, well, so many things in that story that uh, are so interesting. And uh, thank you for, for sharing that. F firstly, uh, the thing that we have to know what we have to do in life very soon. Uh, so since, you know, we have to choose our path like at 18, 19, we have to know 
uh, and it's very early, you know, to decide what we w really want to do. And that's, we have yes, that pressure to, to choose a path, to choose a career. And then often we regret that, that choice. And then we feel lost. We are you know, about 30 or 40 and we feel regrets of our choices. And it's so interesting that you made a late choice and then you regret again in a way that, okay, I'm not, I, I'm not prepared to this. I don't want to do this. And how the fear and understanding your fear can uh, brought you where you are. And now you are helping people to overcome that fear also. And it's interesting that you as a, meet, a meeting doctor, and I love this expression, really, I love this title. As a meeting doctor, you said um, uh, that meetings sometimes we often, uh, so we have a lot of syndromes, I guess, in these meetings. And one of them is fear of speaking up. And this is quite also what I like to understand and, and work with my clients because I don't have a voice in meetings. So it's a very common symptom. So what other symptoms people have in, in meetings? So what are the symptoms of this syndrome? Well, so, so I'm especially focused on the speaking up and also the speaking down. Um, because some people want to speak up more. Some people speak too much and they don't always <laughs> say, so they don't always say what they want to say and they don't always realize that they're, they're actually stopping others from speaking up. So it goes from both angles. Mm -hmm. But meeting syndrome, like in medicine, you know, that's why I call it meeting syndrome. Syndromes are spectrum disorders in medicine. From one end of the scale, you've got something very minor, to the other end of the scale where you've got something major and meeting syndrome is the same. So it could be that your organization is in the habit of meeting too often mm -hmm. and you've got this meeting reflex, you know, got a question, let's have a meeting, especially now. Um, it's so easy to organize a meeting. You press a couple of buttons and you're done mm -hmm. and you feel like you've done something. You can tick that off your list, but actually you, you've just increased the problem because you're creating another meeting. People are going to have to attend your meeting. That's your time. That's their time. We often think in terms of a half an hour meeting or an hour's meeting, but it's not a half an hour meeting. Mm -hmm. It depends on how many people in your room. If you've got 10 people in your meeting, that's a 10 hour meeting. So that's yep. 10 hours of time that you must respect because we've all got 24 hours in a day. And if we don't respect that time, and make sure we're using it effectively, then it leads to all sorts of problems from stress to burnout, to frustration, uh, to not getting results. I mean, mm -hmm. another part of meeting syndrome, of course, is you get, you get great conversations, but nothing happens. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't get any results. And so you have another meeting to try and get the results and, and so on. So meeting syndrome, there are masses of things in there. My, my main tenant, is that we actually have two meetings. So we've got mm -hmm. the meeting we're in um, where we're interacting with other human beings. Meetings are intrinsically social. And so mm -hmm. they bring up all our little insecurities, all our underconfidence. The meeting situation brings all those to the surface. So that's mm -hmm. meeting number one. But meeting number two is the one that's going on inside your head. The one mm -hmm. that's saying, oh, I, I, I've got something to say, but maybe it'll come out wrong or maybe it's stupid or um, I'm in a room with men and I'm a woman. They're not going to take me seriously or mm -hmm. uh, I'm too young. I haven't got enough experience. They're not going to want to listen to me or 
it must be wrong what I'm thinking because everybody else is saying something and I think something else. So I must be wrong when actually mm -hmm. you're probably not, you're probably right. So that's the meeting that's going on inside your head, the conversation mm -hmm. inside your head, which is where the coaching comes in. So mm -hmm. I train people how to have effective meetings, give them tips and tricks, but I also mm -hmm. coach people how mm -hmm. to deal with that meeting inside their head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's very interesting, the two meetings <laughs> set up, because I think often people have let that meeting in their head and that exists, but then uh, the result is not the best because we, you know, everything happened in a different way that we expected or we couldn't contribute in a way. And especially, uh, do you, we have all this, the introverts and extroverts, some people some, sometimes speak too much, others <laughs> too little. So do you see any pattern in this? Like people that are more introvert, they have this meeting inside their head, but they are not able sometimes to express, hey guys, we are going in the, in the wrong direction, for example. So how do you see this? So yes, you, you, I definitely do see that in my group trainings. You can very quickly identify who are the introverts and who are the extroverts. But again, introversion and extroversion is also spectrum. So we're all a little bit introvert and we're all a little bit extrovert, depending on the situation. So there would be some meetings in there's where you would feel that you're talking a lot because you love your subject and you, you know where you're going and you're completely committed. And there might be other meetings where you feel a little bit, you know, you just want to be an observer mode and you don't really want to speak up, but you might mm. have that meeting going on inside your head, whether mm -hmm. or not you're an introvert or an extrovert. So, mm -hmm. so that aside, um, we know that extroverts um, in the neuroscience and the brain science, we know that in extroverts, their thinking parts of the brain are directly linked to their speaking parts of the mm -hmm. brain and so extroverts actually have to speak out loud in order to engage brain mm -hmm. and so sometimes that makes sense might be talking <laughs> so if you're an extrovert you might be talking and as you're speaking you're thinking actually no that's not that's not such a good idea and then so you're 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 verifying your thoughts as you speak this can become a problem so I, I do work with um, leaders and I coach leaders in the meeting situation how to lead effective meetings so it can become a problem if you're the meeting leader or you're the one speaking and actually what you're doing is thinking but your team is busy hanging on every word because they think that you're giving them directions mm -hmm. and actually you're not ready you're actually brainstorming with yourself mm -hmm. and so if you've If you see that you fall into that pattern, then I advise you just to tell your team, okay, let's think out loud for a second. <laughs> And then, so they know they don't have to, oh, just one second, one second, I'm going to tell them to stop drilling. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Now, can you remind me? I'm sorry, I've lost it. So coming back where we were, <laughs> Um, so you were saying that uh, you you coach people, you coach leaders that sometimes they have this tendency to speak uh, and think at the same time. So it's not good for them or for the team who is trying to catch every word and thinking that they were giving direction. They he's he or she was giving directions. So how do you uh, treat this? So is better preparation before? Is it? Just war warning the team, okay, guys, I'm just thinking out loud. Don't take it as a final word. word. How, what is yes. this? Yes, so 
So yes, all of those things, Ines. So once you've identified that you need to talk out loud in order to think, then you know that about yourself. You know you're an extrovert. You know that about yourself. And you can practice. You can talk to a Zoom. You can talk to the mirror. You can talk to your cat. You know, you can, you can practice. The fact is you do need to speak. Um, so often it is very beneficial to speak in a team because, you know, you need that kind of, you're an extrovert. It gives you energy to organize your thoughts in a team. As long as your team knows that you're in, let's brainstorm for a moment, let's think this through out loud. As long as they've got that message to begin with, so they know where they are, then they don't get confused or frustrated because that's where the problems start setting in. I like to say I have a quote that I use in my trainings. People need to know what to expect and what is expected of them. It's very simple. But we absolutely need to know what to expect. So because unless we're told, we make assumptions. And my assumption when my boss is talking to me is that he or she is telling me what to do, Mm -hmm. which might be different to my boss's assumption who might be thinking, well, I'm just I'm just brainstorming here. I'm just thinking. So we have to explain. We have to tell people what to expect. Mm -hmm. And then if you're on the other end of the scale, so if you're an introvert, then you know that your brain is wired in a different way. Your brain, your thinking part of your brain and your creativity is not wired to your mouth. So it it doesn't work when you have to think quickly on your feet. You actually have to think first, organize your thoughts and then speak out. So our brains are wired differently. They've done studies and and they know this. So when Mm -hmm. you know that about yourself, then it's okay to say, okay, just give me a minute. Let me think this through inside my head. Mm -hmm. That requires also uh, respect and flexibility within the team, no? Because you have these different styles and you have to understand that people think and speak differently and you have to give space. So we have these like long meetings, many meetings, and then we have to deal with different, uh, well, styles and personalities. And what is the, yeah, what, what should we pay attention? Like trying, when we try to avoid the syndrome of having too many meetings. So what are, for example, the questions that we might have to ask for ourselves? Is this necessary? Or what, what are the questions that, that we can use uh, to be more effective in meetings? Well, th- there are there are several, but if we're going to boil it down to one, because I like to make things really simple so that people can actually apply it. And if you just do one thing, if you want to have better meetings or less meetings or shorter meetings, if meetings are a pain point for you, then this one question is the question that you want to ask. And that is, what is the outcome of this meeting going to be? So another mm-hmm. way of putting it is, what do I want to walk away with by the end of this meeting, specifically? And mm-hmm. that question works if you're the meeting organizer, and it also works if you're just the meeting participant and you've been invited mm-hmm. to attend. Because mm-hmm. if you're the meeting organizer and you cannot tell your participants what you want to walk away with by the end of this meeting, then you should not hold the meeting. 
because it's disrespectful. You just spoke about respecting us of, of each other, our personalities, mm-hmm. our expertise, our time. If you're the meeting leader and you're calling a meeting and you can't articulate what you want by the end of the meeting, then you should not call a meeting. And then often people say, but how do I know? Sometimes I don't know what I want. Sometimes I need a meeting to know what to get out of it. Okay, so that is the goal of your meeting. So today we are going to spend 30 meetings, 30 minutes to identify what it is we need to achieve. That's a goal. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to know what is the outcome. And so that's when you're the meeting leader. If you're the meeting participant and you get a meeting invite, And it says, you know, meeting on the 12th of November, but it doesn't tell you what the outcome is. It might say team meeting. A team meeting doesn't tell you what you're going to achieve in that meeting. doesn't tell you what you're going to have done by the end of the meeting. So Mm -hmm. you can write back to the meeting organizer and you can say, thank you for inviting me to your meeting. Can you help me understand what you want by the end of this meeting? and how I can contribute so that you're, you're helping them get to the outcome. You mm-hmm. have to identify the outcome. So that's the and, one and all, thing. If, if everybody <laughs> did that, we would cure meeting syndrome. It's a, very, it's a very simple and useful tip uh, to make that question. And also, uh, I think we can do a triage of how many people have to attend to a meeting if they have to contribute at that point because I see this a lot in in organizations they invite everyone to the meeting because they have everyone to know about something as the same thing as do write an email and put everyone in cc because they so it's a lot of information and we we miss a lot of it we we miss the key points to the, the strategy what is the outcome because it's too many too much information that we we got nowadays And you were saying previously about the, so nowadays it's so easy to just click a few buttons and then we have a meeting. Um, so what do you think about this pandemic situation and all the virtual um, meetings that we have? Is this situation worse right now or is getting better because we can be more efficient? So what what is your opinion about it? Well, the, the, the amazing thing, I think the incredible thing is that productivity did not go down during the pandemic. It even went increased. And when you think about how people are living their lives, they have there is no doubt that people have more meetings now. They fit more meetings into their day. They're at home all the time, often dealing with children or parents or, or just life. And the, the workday has stretched. So it's incredible that people have managed Um, to stay so productive. Um, But it is a real problem in terms of health, in terms of wellness. You know, I have clients who tell me they don't dare drink any water because they're going to have to go to the loo. And they don't have time to go to the loo because they're back-to-back meetings. So, you know, people aren't eating properly, they're not drinking properly. And of course, there's all the stress related to Mm -hmm. meetings. So that's mm-hmm. the downside. But the upside is that people have changed the way they meet and they are getting more focused because of um, the online environment. So that's mm-hmm. an upside. And what I see as huge, um, a huge benefit is that we all experimented. We all were ready to be imperfect because mm-hmm. 
what we were talking about, you know, what you said, you people invite too many people, um, meetings are disorganized. It still comes down to fear. So if I invite too many people to my meetings, it's probably because I'm worried I might hurt somebody's feelings or I might be disrespectful to somebody or I might get somebody wrong. I, in fact, I'm doing it out of fear. Mm-hmm. I might not consciously know that, but that's the subconscious reason. Mm-hmm. But and, because and, and and with and with a good intention behind, like with good intention. But, but if absolutely. you don't understand that intention, you don't achieve uh, another way to do that without wasting so much time with from everyone. Absolutely, my intention is I don't want to um, disrespect somebody. Um, I don't want to be rude. That's my intention. But the effect is that I have an ineffective meeting and I waste that person's time. Worse, I waste several people's time, sometimes even hundreds of people's time. And so it's my mission is to recalibrate um, what we, how we respect each other, because we think wrongly it's a sign of respect to invite somebody who, who doesn't need to be invited. We think it's a sign of respect, but it's not because that person for the same reasons, accepts my meeting invitation, even though they're too busy, they've mm-hmm. got other things to do, so they accept it. They're multitasking, by the way, by, while they, they accept it. But so it's a vicious cycle and everybody's got good intentions, but everybody's stressing each other and not re- achieving results. So that's mm-hmm. why there's a big piece about corporate culture. And when I go into organizations, you know, I really really focus on the values of the organization because what we say in our corporate culture it's normally about respect um, and so on it's not necessarily what really shows up in the meeting room because mm-hmm. because as you say well-meaning but um wrongly directed respect <laughs> exactly no that's that's an interesting point uh because yeah we we have all this concept of okay let's invite everyone let's include everyone to be inclusive to have everyone but it's exactly where we are wasting time and energy from people that also they don't have the courage to say no you know to say to too many meetings and probably i i think i read this once that um probably all the meetings that you have in your in your agenda you can cancel 90% of them and like life still goes on <laughs> the work gets done so what what is your opinion about the balance between the offline work and the online work because like if you have a day with meetings you know every hour and you can't even go to the to the bathroom uh you can't re- get really things done like you are always listening or talking and of course that's work but that's a lot of things that you have to do by yourself you have to be focused you have to be you know with in your own bubble uh what what could be the right amount i think it might depend i think on the organization but what could be the right percentage of you know attending meetings and working on your stuff <laughs> that you have to do so absolutely and again this is where working with the company company culture or the team culture is vitally important because it, the answer is it depends we know that we need at least 90 minutes of uninterrupted time in order to get into that deep thinking flow state. So we know that from neuroscience, we need at least uninterrupted 90 minutes. So when do you get 90 minutes uninterrupted? If you're, if you're in eight to 10 meetings a day, you don't. But if you are a team leader, your job is different. So you're the leader. You may need to attend 
and lead more meetings than, say, your managers or, or your administrative staff and so on. That's right. What's the right balance for your team? What's the right balance for your role? Because even the administrator, even the sort of the personal assistant, maybe he or she isn't attending so many meetings, but they're the person organizing the meetings. So when I work with companies, I always ask the question, how many hours a day do you spend in meetings? So the administrative, the personal assistants and the administrative staff, they may say one or two hours a day. But then I ask the question, how many hours a day are you spent organizing meetings? And then that goes up to, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, even because mm -hmm. they, they, they're organizing so many meetings. So that's why I call it meeting syndrome. It really has become a meeting syndrome. It's really become a disease. Mm -hmm. And yet we need meetings in, in this COVID environment. Human beings, we need that connection. And meetings has fulfilled that connection to a certain extent. Um, so it's not necessarily about reducing the number of meetings, though that will naturally happen when your meetings get the results they, that you want. When you get the results you want from one meeting, then you don't need to plan another one. So it's, mm -hmm. my focus isn't necessarily about reducing meetings. It's more about getting clarity on what are you meeting for? And how is the best way to get that result, to get the result you want? Hmm. Um, if you want a decision, you also need to think, well, how are we going to get that decision? Um, so there are, there, are, there are steps and they are simple steps to follow. I don't like to say rules because the moment you give people rules, then they rebel. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I I'm don't submit to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's and what works for one organization, say a law firm, isn't the same as what works for another, say, a media firm. Um, mm -hmm. We're different and we employ different personality types and we need different things. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do we do our best work together as a team? How do we get the best out of each other, out of mm -hmm. our expertise, our personalities, our gifts, our instinctive strengths and so on? And mm -hmm. so I, I work on all those levels i do assessments um, to find out you know how do you operate in the meeting situation mm -hmm. how do you react are you an introvert are you an extrovert are you more focused on details or are you more able to give the bigger picture and how mm -hmm. can we use that skill in our team and when when do we bring you in so we make the most of your strengths And mm -hmm. then you start getting motivated and empowered because you get the results you want from your meetings. And, and it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess that there are types of people that should open a meeting, others give the details and others close the meeting. And people get, can have uh, at, be at their best depending on what's the goal, what's the, the moment, uh, the specific situation. So it's, that makes a lot of sense. So for, for what advice do you have for, firstly, for people that organize meetings? And what advice may you have for people who attend or not meetings? <laughs> okay, so, so one of the, when I, when I ask people, you know, what's your biggest pain point about meetings? When I ask people that question, one of the commonest things that they answer is, um, you know, 
people, conversations looping round and round, but not getting anywhere. Too many people talking, always the same people talking and no results. That's the that's the commonest answer that I get. I think our listeners will recognize that in their organizations. Um, and, mm -hmm. and my advice there is again, and frankly, Inez, it, 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 we started off by talking about fear. It all comes back to dealing with your internal fears. Because my advice there is to, it, it, it's easy to say, it's actually harder to do, and, and that's, why, that's why we have programs, um, is to tap in to your reason. So we talk a lot about tapping into our values and finding our superpowers, and I, I help people find, I help people do that. But when we're talking about meetings, we're actually tapping into the reason for the meeting. So again, what's the outcome of the meeting? Now, if... Mm -hmm. If I know why I'm there and what I'm supposed to contribute, then I'm much more empowered to step up and say to somebody who's talking too much, um, can I interrupt you for a second? Please explain to me what it is that you're talking about. How does that relate to the task we're dealing with in the meeting? Now, when I coach people how to interrupt others it takes time because it's about our fear it's about our subconscious mm -hmm. fear i keep pointing mm -hmm. here because it's our reptilian brain yeah <laughs> we can't um, we, we can't see but uh, you are touching the, the oh, back yes. of your head <laughs> our reptilian brain is, is at the back of our heads and it's it's wired to belong to a group because in our in our ancestry belonging to a tribe was a matter of life and death And so instinctively, we don't do anything that could jeopardize our position in the tribe. And we, we subconsciously decide, what is my rank in the tribe? Am I the leader or am I like the, the lowest of the low? And, and we give ourselves internally our rank. We don't know we're doing this. It's subconscious. And we won't do anything to rock the boat because it might mean that we get rejected. And that's mm -hmm. the fear. That's the fear. Now, wonderfully, we've got our conscious mind and we can override that fear when we are bonded. So the word bonding. So we're connected emotionally and physically and cognitive. We are bonded to a cause, to a value. That's why as coaches, we work a lot with um, finding individuals values. But we can mm -hmm. also bond to the goal of the meeting. So if my goal of the meeting is to get a decision and I'm going to get that decision by the end of the meeting, I can bond to that goal. Mm -hmm. And it allows me to keep referring back to it. I do it with respect. I do it with understanding. But I can interrupt somebody with respect and bring them back to the task of the goal. And I can mm -hmm. do that whether I'm the meeting leader or whether I'm a participant. Mm -hmm. But I need to be empowered. And that's why my feeling now I've been doing this for, for three years, sort of nonstop. My feeling is that if you are going to if you are going to try and make the most of your meetings, then you'll get your best results by targeting those people who regularly lead meetings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so some organizations, you know, I was speaking to a bank recently and they said, look, Madeleine, we've got 40,000 employees. How are you going to run this program throughout our employees? You don't need to run it to 40,000 employees. You, yep. you just need the people who regularly lead meetings and they will be the role models. If you get them to lead meetings effectively by holding that space, holding that meeting space effectively, then people will copy them. Mm-hmm. Because if I, if I can see it, I can be it. I will they, copy good meeting behavior. They will be role, role models for all the organization. That's right. Top That's bottom, right. Yeah. It, it filters down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, that's a very, you, you touched this point of interrupting. I hear it a lot, you know, uh, in many also, you know, tr- programs and training that I give and people have to, you know, I think I don't have a voice, but I, I, I'm not sure if I should interrupt the other person, how to interrupt, how can I be polite and the still, and you were saying that, you know, in our brain, we are wired to belong to the tribe. So we don't want to rock the boat and re- disturb others. But it's very interesting just to wrap up this idea is that if you connect to the idea of what is the outcome of the meeting and and bonds you know that uh, uh, and also do it with respect respect and not going out to our basic instincts like the fear of being re- rejected but what is the pleasure of finishing this meeting with everyone with the goals accomplished and of course we can balance that with our frontal part of the brain and make decisions based on the rationality and also you know, logic. And I think only that tip will save a lot of time. The thing is, I imagine that how, how can you say to your leader, if he or she isn't aware of it, that she needs you, <laughs> that she needs a, a meeting doctor? How can people say that to their boss, for example? Do you have any tip? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so first of all, I have a TED talk. So that's something that people can just share and they can say, oh, you know, this, this meetings doctor's got this eight minutes, it's eight minutes, TED talk. And that allows, because I find what happens is when you've got an external like me coming in or you, Inez, when you come into an organization, it's so much easier because you become the voice. You say the things that are difficult to say. So I can talk about, you know, would you interrupt your meeting leader? And that's mm-hmm. what my TED talk does talk about so it mm-hmm. starts the conversation and it makes people aware because we know that awareness is curative once you are aware of something you can begin to change it but the the, the commonest that when you're the meeting leader or you're the leader the the thing that people come to me leaders come to me and they ask me for help is because they don't have enough time They say, you know, Madeline, I don't have time to think, to solve the problems, to strategize. And so they don't come to me to fix their meetings. They come to me for time management. Mm -hmm. And then I can help them fix their meetings because I'm helping. So the biggest problem that people have, the meeting leaders and and the the leaders of teams, is their their time. What they need is time alone and four walls just to think and strategize. And Mm so you can always say, you know, you know, if you want, if you want to manage time better, or we need some time management, then we can also call Madeline. And, and then I come in and I also fix with the, with the right cure. <laughs> That's right. That's why it's a, it's a syndrome, as we said at the beginning, you know, whenever you get people together, because it's intrinsically social, you get all those um, benefits of being together, 
you said I was a collective intelligence facilitator. You know, the ability of minds, great minds, when they think together to achieve things is infinite. I truly believe we can change the world when we meet together effectively. But we can also completely get things wrong because we bounce off each other the wrong way. So it's about facilitating that. And facilitation comes from the French word facile, to make it easy for people to work together. So that's what I do. I just make it easy for people to work together. You make the world a better place by, <laughs> by more effective meetings. And we are talking about connection, human connection and making a difference. So Madeline, where people can find you, you already mentioned your TED Talk. Can you tell us the name? What is the name of the TED Talk? So what I'll do, Inez, is I'll give you the link so you can have that in the link. Um, I think it's got a, it's, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's, uh, I can, I'll send you the link. But the easiest way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. If you just search Madeleine de Hawk, um, and then you, you'll find me on LinkedIn, that's the easiest way to get me. Good. Madeline, thank you so much for you, for you to be here, to share your wisdom, to share all these tips. I think this is a subject that will interest to everyone because everyone has a lot of meetings. Um, and especially now that we are transitioning for an hybrid environment where we'll have some face-to-face -face meetings and then virtual meetings and then It's a mess. So I think your job is amazing. And I really recommend people to search for you and to have you as a facilitator if this meeting syndrome exists in your organization. So Madeline, thank you so much for having, for being here in this podcast. Thank you, Inez. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. Did you like it? If so, feel free to spread the word. To discover more about vocal coaching, you can visit my website, voicepowerleadership.com, or contact me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And always remember, your voice matters. <laughs>